I I, I is not less than half, bro. <laughs> This episode's such a mess. <laughs> I will find a way to edit this <laughs> and make it uh probably I'll cut out a huge chunk where it says, uh, and then Connor and Bryce rambled for 20 minutes being confused about how a ternary search tree effectively is constructed. And uh, we're leaving that out and resuming <laughs> at the point where they understood. Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode three, recorded on December 6, 2020. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host Bryce, we're going to be talking about Scrabble, directed acyclic word graphs, and ternary search trees. So, okay, yeah, so I I promised Twitter to uh, embarrass you about Scrabble. Um... Yeah, so uh, <laughs> we were gonna do it in the intro part, but you said that uh, you said that it was the perfect uh, lead-in for the esoteric data structure that you're gonna talk about because that is today's topic. Last week we talked about um, our favorite data structures, um, but uh, we didn't get through all of our favorite data structures, so we decided we continued this week, and uh, this week we're gonna talk about more esoteric data structures. Yeah. So uh, t- tell everybody. <laughs> How you became a Scrabble savant. Well, so to, to be clear, I'm sure there's uh, several listeners that are uh, much, much better than me at Scrabble. Um, but the... Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Con- Connor, Connor. Do you recall at CPPCon 2019, I seem to recall you playing Scrabble with a group of, say, three people. Does that sound, seem about right? Uh, it, it was three, including me, yes. Yes. And, and the deal was that the other two people got to combine their score. So each of them, to win, they just had to get more than your score, so they each just had to get a, slightly above half of your score. Who won that game of Scrabble? Uh, no, nobody won. It, it ended up being an exact tie. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, but that doesn't... That, uh, there's, there's levels. There's people that play casually... Uh, then there's people that play competitively, and then there's people that like compete in tournaments. I'm not like tournament level, um, but the the short version of the story is uh, I was not allowed any computer games or console systems when I was a kid, um, except for one computer game, and that was Scrabble. Um, <laughs> and also, my my father's a, a journalist, so he very much liked word games, so we we played quite a bit. Um, and I got pretty good and it got to the point where my dad said I could no longer use, um, words that I couldn't define and use in a sentence, uh, because anyone that's played any amount of Scrabble knows that there are cute little two letter words that are useful, um, like Q I and Z A and, you know, two A A and A I and A E. And, uh, so slowly but surely I started memorizing all of the definitions for these words. So Z A Z A is short for pizza. Uh, QI is Qi, which stands for Chinese energy. AA, I believe, is cindery lava. And then there's one other one that's like a three-toed sloth. Anyways, I know have all this useless information so that I could I could use these words and Scrabble with my dad. <laughs> and at some point, he just stopped playing with me. Um, but the point is, I'm a big Scrabble fan. 
and uh, it it definitely ties in well to uh, to our what we're talking about today. And it's it's interesting. I as a kid also uh, did not uh, have any consoles. I didn't even have a computer in the house until uh, my mom married my stepdad, which must have been when I was. I don't know, maybe 11 or 12 or so before I had a computer in the house. Um, I was sort of computer savvy before then, but you talk to a lot of people who are programmers now and they were like, you know, um, a lot of them were programming from a very young age. Um, and I was also deprived of, uh, of, uh, of consoles. I never had like a, a console in my house. So, so we're both, uh, we're both late bloomers for tech i guess you could say yep and i coincidentally if i'm not mistaken we actually both uh started programming in the exact same quote esoteric programming language uh, which is in high school in ti basic on our graphing calculators yeah it it Uh. is it is really fascinating to me the uh uh, how prevalent ti basic was as a first language for programmers of our generation um yeah so which whichever engineers at ti designed uh ti basic kudos to you yeah it was my even though it was a waste of time that was like my favorite thing to do in math class because they would they would clear your stored programs uh before exams but then if you like knew how to program it, it took like you know sixty seconds to write the quadratic formula program, and then like even if it was only one question, I would do it just to like spite the teachers. <laughs> I would write the program and uh, and then use it during the exam. So in in all the games that I like played or made, um, there was an emulation mode where you could press a button while you were playing the game on the calculator, and then it would um, it would pretend to be like in regular calculator mode. So if your teacher came over and like thought you were like playing a game, you just hit the button, and then it would just be like <laughs> they wouldn't be able to tell. And some of the emulation modes were pretty uh, pretty impressive. <laughs> that is fantastic. I did not know about that. Um. Yeah. But uh, we should get back to Scrabble and uh, and your favorite data structure. So yeah, I uh, I well I should have sent you the link to this. Um, in fact, I will quickly uh, do that. How should I send it to you? I'll DM it, DM it to you on Twitter. Um, but so at some points, I think in university. Um, At some point in university, I wanted to implement a lightweight Scrabble game. And uh, sure enough, I ended up doing some research. And I stumbled across this paper that was written, I believe, in 1988 um, by two individuals, Andrew Appel and Guy Jacobson. At the time, I had no idea um, either of these names. But in the last year or so, I actually think I became aware of Andrew Appel's series of books on compilers. Um, So this is sort of a tangent, but he's also was a prominent individual on developing the SML New Jersey uh, language. So for those of you not familiar, uh, SML New Jersey is, I think, an implementation of SML, which stands for Standard ML, which is a dialect, a modern dialect, or at least was at the time of ML, which is a programming language that stands for uh, meta language. Anyways, at the time, I had no idea who Andrew Appel is, but uh, cool to sort of learn however many years later that is, that uh, he's a notable figure in sort of compilers and programming languages. But this paper introduces um, a variant of a, I'm not sure how popular it is, um, a data structure called a try. I believe that's 
how I pronounce it, uh, but I, I've heard some people call it a tree, um, which is confusing because that's also <laughs> um, a sort of other node-based data structure, but uh, it's spelled T-R-I-E to disambiguate. And um, the variant of it is uh, uh, called a dog, um, which is D-A-W-G. So it's W added to another acronym for a data structure called a DAG. Uh, which uh, DAG, I'm sure some of you are familiar with, is a directed acyclic graph. Um, and the W that's added to the DAG uh, stands for word. So the variant of the tri is what is known as a directed acyclic word graph. Um, so I'm not sure we should pause here to, I guess, first explain what a tri is. Do you want to explain what a tri is, or should I explain what a tri is? I think you should explain what a tri is. All right, so... Uh, Basically, and I should I should summarize first, the point of a dog is to be able to efficiently look up words that are in a dictionary, which is why it's, you know, stated in the Scrabble, uh, you know, paper, but also to very efficiently uh, store these words. So naively, if you wanted a dictionary of words, you could just create uh, a hash set of strings and store each you know, word that's in your dictionary. I believe in the Scrabble Dictionary 5th Edition, there's like 178,000 words or something um, that vary from two characters to 15 characters. That's the maximum um, length word that you can play on a Scrabble board. Um, and so you can imagine, on average, that's, you know, seven characters times 178,000. That's quite a bit of space. Um, and there's a data structure called a try that basically takes advantage of repeated suffixes in words so that you're not uh, storing sort of duplicate information. So in the paper, they have the following words, car, cars, cat, cats, do, dog, dogs, done, ear, ears, eat, and eats, uh, which is, I don't know, roughly like 12, uh, 12 words. This is on page three. Uh, for any of you, this will be in the, the show note links and, and Bryce can follow along. But so the point is, is that like car and cat... Um, and cars and cats, the four of those words, they share the same first two characters, C and A. So basically, you can visualize a tree uh, where at the top of the tree are the first letters of any given word, so A through Z. And then uh, for storing the word car, you basically have like a node-based structure where at every node, a single letter is stored. So you start at C, then the next node points to an A, and then the next node points to an R, and then you sort of indicate that there's a word ending at the sequence of C-A-R. And then when you want to insert cars with an S into your try, you basically just add uh, another node pointing from your R to an S and indicate that there's a uh, word ending there. And all that cost you was an extra character on top of car. It didn't cost you four new characters. Um, and the same thing with cat, you can just add a T onto the A from the C-A of car and once again, an S onto that. Um, so that's the basic idea of a try. You have this sort of node-based tree where every node represents a character, and you start at the top, work your way down, and anytime you get to a node that has sort of a flag that indicates a word ends here, um, you know that you know from the characters that you traverse node to node, um, that sets up sort of the word. Um, the difference between a try and a directed acyclic word graph is that you're not only sharing the suffixes, the common suffixes, but also uh, the common, um, or I've been saying this wrong, sorry, prefixes is uh, what we were um, uh, sharing to begin with. Suffixes are at the end. So uh, a try combines common prefixes 
a directed acyclic word graph combines both common prefixes and common suffixes. And this is a little bit hard to visualize, like at least for me in my head, but if you look at the paper, it's it makes it super, super clear that uh, for the try, you basically just have this sort of top-down, what looks like any sort of uh, tree that you might imagine. It's quite easy in this case because there's only, you know, 12 words, but you can imagine for a full-blown dictionary, each node is going to roughly point to, you know, 15 to 26 other letters. But for a dog, you can imagine words that end in the same suffix. So, for instance, like graduation, commotion, election, they all end in T-I-O-N, the same way that you're sharing nodes for your prefixes in a try, you share nodes for your suffixes. Um, and this leads to like a huge savings in space. Um, in terms of performance, it's about the same as the try, but in, term, in terms of space, it's a lot more compact, um, which is why uh, I think this paper is no- noting it as a interesting data structure to use. Well, and being and being space space efficient can also mean that you are uh, uh, more compute efficient because the smaller data structure is going to be more cache friendly. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's interesting that uh, that uh, you picked a dog because the uh, esoteric data structure I want to talk about is. Um, uh, uh, of, of that same family. Um, it's called a ternary search tree. Um, this is something I first came across uh, when I was working on Boost Spirit towards the start of my career. For those who, who don't know, Boost Spirit is um, uh, a C++ um, uh, parsing framework. Um, it, it's sort of a, it, it's an alternative to something like Yak and Bison, um, uh, which are, uh, uh, two common uh, parser frameworks for uh, uh, like C or C++. But the advantage of Boost Spirit is that it, it does not require some external tool to generate your uh, parser. Um, it's all done in C++ using a domain-specific embedded language and uh, C++ expression templates. Um, and so one of the things that uh, uh, we... Um, have as part of Boost Spirit is um, there's this primitive um, that's called uh, uh, symbols, and that's for storing like um, you know a set of keywords um, or something like that, um, some set of uh, of, of known um, strings that you want to match against, and um, we use a ternary search tree um, uh, to store these symbols tables. Um, and a ternary search tree, it's a special type of um, try. Um, so each node has a value. In, in our case, the value is just going to be a character. Um, and then three children. Um, and one of those children is the low child. And you go down that branch if the value that you're searching for is less than the node's value. Then you have an equal child. Um, and you go down that branch if the value that you're searching for is equal to the node's value. And then you have a greater child and you go down that one if the value you're searching for is greater than the node's value. Um, and so it's a, because it's a try, it's um, very nice and space efficient. Um, uh, for search, insertion, and deletion, it's, uh, I think, O log N average and O N worst. Um and you might wonder, well, shouldn't we just use a hash map 
um, for something like this. Um, and in a lot of cases, a hash map might be faster. But um, in this particular case of Boost Spirits use case, um, a, a, a ternary search tree or a TST as, as they're abbreviated to, um, is a little bit of a better fit. So one of the reasons is because a TST search can be done incrementally. We can um, uh, uh, take some sequence of inputs and sort of incrementally search down the tree for them. And this is a really good fit when we're working with iterators, which is what Boost Spirit um, uh, deals in um, for uh, input. Um, another nice property of TSTs is that mismatches are discovered earlier. So in, in a hash table, um, um, a mismatch or a, a failure to find something, um, uh, you know, hey, I'm looking in this um, hash table to see if this symbol is in there. Um, uh, those can be quite expensive in hash tables. Whereas with a TST, um, you can get uh, a false answer very quickly. Imagine that you had um, a symbols table where all of where you had no symbols that started with the letter X. So then if you've got some input that starts with the letter X, um, you immediately know on the first, um, uh, the, the first node that you search that you're done. Um, because you go to the first node, um, uh, you, you, you see that it's not an X, you go to its, its um, whichever is the applicable child, and you see that it's a null node, and you immediately know, hey, there are no symbols in this symbol table that start with the letter X, so I know that, that there's no matches, and I should go on to try to match the next um, uh, uh, component um, uh, in the parser. Um, and um, TSTs are also nice because they can provide partial results and nearest neighbors, and so that's useful if, for example, you want to provide some diagnostic if there's um, a typo. You know, if somebody misspelled a keyword by one letter, um, a TST can give you some, you know, the clo some close matches. Um, and uh, TSTs also, you know, they use less memory, so they're more space efficient. And they can also be more compute efficient um, because uh, a compact data structure is going to be more um, cache friendly. And um, you can use TSTs, uh, you see them in a lot of places. They're used for things like spell check or auto completion. Um, they're um, used a lot in um, IDEs and text editors and in parser frameworks like, uh, like Boost Spirit. So in the case of uh, Boost Spirit, um, you said that each of the characters in your TST uh, sort of is uh, one character of a symbol. What's an example of like the set of symbols that are being stored in this, if I understood correctly? Like what's um, an example? Is it is it like keywords and identifier and identifiers yeah. from like uh, a programming language or some DSL or something like that? Yeah, it would be it would be something like uh, keywords or identifiers or. Um, uh, you know, it might be something that you use for, um, so, so normal, normally the symbol table is used to map, uh, or it, it, it's not necessarily something that you'd use for keywords, actually. It, it, you might, but, um, a better example might be something like built-in functions because the symbol table will map some, um, some strings to some values. So, um, like, let's say that you had some, uh, you're, you had some little language that had um, some built-in uh, uh, 
like names for different um, colors. Like it was some graphics programming language. Um, you might have a symbol table that maps all those names for colors to an object that uh, represents that color. Or if you have a set of built-in functions, like, you know, um, a set of built-in math functions, you might have a symbol table that maps um, uh, all the names of those math functions to, um, uh, you know, a function object that implements those semantics. Um, uh, although in that case, you might do it slightly differently in Boost Spirit. But it's generally, it's used for any time where you've got some... Um, some sort of enumeration or, or some large set of things that you want to map to some value. Whereas something like a keyword, um, uh, you probably would handle a little bit differently because each keyword may appear in a different context in a programming language. Whereas a symbol table in Boost Spirit is something that you're going to use in a place where, hey, any one of these sets of things could appear. Interesting. Have you, have you ever used Boost Spirit or you've just worked on it from a, like an implementer side of things oh no yeah i've used it a lot um you know we used it in uh well when i first got started i used it to build um you know this little like toy lisp like language um we used it in hpx this parallel runtime that i worked on to implement our um like yaml metadata parser and to implement our um command line option parsers um you know any any time that i need to do some parsing in C++ where I can't get away with regular expressions, I'd pick up something like Boost Spirit. Interesting. Is it still a, a recommended library these days? Um, oh, yeah, definitely. At least in my book. I mean, uh, there, there are some people who are not a fan of it because it, it does rely very heavily on C++ templates and, and expression templates. But I think it's, um, I think it's really amazing technology. It, um, it gives you really op fast, optimized code at runtime. Um, and uh, these days, it's very fast to compile, too, um, especially relative to... Uh, uh, sort of pre-C++11 compile times, which uh, could be quite painful for these large template code bases. Oh, there's, a, there's, another, there's another place where um, TSTs are quite useful, which is if you're doing something like case-insensitive parsing, um, they can be a really good fit for that. Like, uh, hey, I want to match, you know, I want to match um, uh, these words regardless of whether they're capitalized or lowercase, etc. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. The, the the one thing that I'm not entirely clear on is how exactly does a how does a TST differ from just a regular tree? Try, I guess we're we're pronouncing it that way. Well, so it sounded like from your explanation that like there's only there's always a maximum of three children per node. Right, right. Whereas in a in, in a in a try or a directed acyclic word graph, um, basically like your your boundary is the set of characters. Uh, if so, if it's just like alf alphabetical Arabic characters, lowercase, that's 26. But if it's alphanumeric, that's going to be 36. And then if you include whatever punctuation or capitalize, obviously that increases. But so like typically for, you know, if you're implementing it for a Scrabble game, uh, you're going to have a maximum of 26 children node because that's, you don't have to deal with cases and there's no such thing as numbers. Um, whereas in your description of a TST, you have like the lower bound, the equal equal node child, and then the upper bound, and that's like the max. So um, if I understood yeah. your explanation correctly. 
Yeah, no, no. I, I think you're right. Now, now the question is, what are the uh, what are the implications of that trade-off? And uh, off the top of my head, I don't know. I think we'd have to like work through it. Um, is it perhaps the case that one of these two is more space efficient than the other, um, or that searching is quicker in one or the other requires hopping through less, more or less nodes? Unfortunately, I have to interrupt episode three because a few minutes later, Bryce would say the following. I don't know. We're going to probably have to to cut this part because this is a little bit rambly. (laughs) And due to that statement, it seems that the podcast god smiled down upon Bryce while he was exporting his audio and they erased the last 20 to 30 minutes of his recording. Fortunately for us, we were going to heavily edit out most of what we were discussing because uh, clearly at the time we didn't understand how ternary search trees were constructed. Um, Unfortunately, what that means is that the edited version of this conversation is just going to be about four to five minutes of my voice. So we apologize for this. Next time we will make sure that the podcast gods do not interfere and hopefully this will not happen again. Back to the episode. Let's go to the Wikipedia page. Which reads, in computer science, a ternary search tree is a type of try, sometimes called a prefix tree, where nodes are arranged in a manner similar to a binary search tree, but with up to three children rather than the binary tree's limit of two. Like other prefix trees, a ternary search tree can be used as an associative map structure with the ability for incremental string search. However, ternary search trees are more space efficient compared to standard prefix trees at the cost of speed. Common applications for ternary search trees include spell checking and auto-completion. And the description says, each node of a ternary search tree stores a single character, an object, or a pointer to an object depending on implementation, and pointers to its three children conventionally named equal kid, low kid, and high kid, which can also be referred respectively as middle child, lower child, and higher child. If we go on, it says the low kid pointer must point to a node whose character value is less than the current node. The high kid pointer must point to a node whose character is greater than the current node. The equal kid points to the next character in the word. The figure below shows a ternary search tree with the strings cute, cup, at, as, he, us, and I. Definitely every leaf node is the end every every leaf node in the tst represents the end of a word so the left the the left s is for as the p is for cup the e is for cute the i is for just the single letter i the right s is for us the E on the, sec- on the third level, second from the bottom, is for he. And then the only other question is, how does it know that at uh, is a word? Because basically there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So there's seven words. Every single one of those words ends in like a singular leaf node, which is different from uh, the try implementation in the directed acyclic word graph in that like there's an indicator so that if you have car and cars uh 
car is going to end at the R in C-A-R, and you're just going to have like a Boolean indicator flag saying a word ends here. And it's just like straight from the top node down to that node where it indicates that there's a word. And then when you add an S, you're also going to set the flag in that node to like word ending here. Whereas here, it seems that like a word that starts with a C is going to start from the top, but a word that starts from any other letter is not going to start at that level. You Every other letter uh, that's less, you're going to go down to the low node. Any other letter that is greater than and starts at it, you're going to go to the higher node. And then any other word that's building off of C is going to go to the equal node somehow. So like I understand all of that. The only thing I don't understand is like if you've got uh, like chapel, so a CH, how do you indicate that... Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. So I think this is it. Anytime you take a, the non-equal node, if you take the low or the high node, you are uh, not including the par- that parent node that you came from. So in the case, in the case of uh, in the case of cup, you include the C because you're using the equal to. You include the U because you're going straight down as well. But then when you get to the T, if you take the low node, which means you go to P, you leave out the T. Yeah, yours, this, the, the TST is, is, I won't say uh, infinitely more complex, but like uh, definitely like the, one of the, the major differences between a TST and a dog is that a dog, when constructed, only has one representation. And uh, when searching for a word you're basically guaranteed to only search the number of characters in that word um, to see if it exists in that dic- dictionary at most. That's if you hit a match. If, if the word you're searching for does not exist in the dictionary, at some point you're going to find out, oh, this word, you know, at the fourth letter, we don't have anywhere to go. This word doesn't exist. Whereas in this TST, uh, depending on how it's constructed, you could search, I'm not sure what the bound is, but definitely more nodes than are in the word, the characters of the word that you're searching for. But yeah, we'll we'll say thanks for listening. Hopefully this episode post editing uh is less of a mess than it was while recording. I I personally learned something as a co-host. Um as a listener, uh that's up in the air at this moment. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah, thanks for listening and we'll catch everyone uh in the next episode hopefully, unless if you just uninstalled this podcast from from your podcast listening app. We'll see you guys next time.